0: Welcome back to the Inner Network podcast, where I sit down with women and get candid about topics like landing your dream career, mental health, and sustainability. I'm your host, Kyla Kablin, and today I'm joined by Azora Zoe. Azora is the founder of Gold Un, an e-commerce marketplace where you can find the best sustainable brands in home, lifestyle, and personal care all in one place. Before founding Gold Oon, Azora worked at e-com companies like Food52 and Bobble Bar. She's also an ex-New Yorker, maximalist, and solopreneur, and I'm so excited to be sharing today's episode during Earth Month. As always, I'll be leaving all of her links in the show notes. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Zora. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm a fan of the
1: pod and you have such amazing guests. So I feel like a very special halo effect, just being in there and your presence.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I'm so excited to chat with you because, um, you know, this month is Earth Month. So I'm really excited to be just diving into things with you. Um, But before we get started, I typically start my podcast off with either a game or a question, and I'm kind of trying something new. So for um, this podcast, I'd love to know what you're most looking forward to this week oh my gosh that that is such a good question I feel like in the
1: before times it probably would have been a dinner or an event or something <laughs> but in today times time feels like a, a flat circle and every day is in some ways is the same So I guess this week in particular there are definitely things in spring and summer I'm more looking forward to, but this week I'm kind of looking forward to Friday night when I know I'm going to watch a movie and like potentially order a pizza and have that veg out time that that for me is my (laughs) my silver lining right now.
0: What are you currently watching? I feel like I always have to ask people because I'm looking for a new show or a movie. So I love asking people what they're currently watching.
1: I just finished this and I'm really sad I did because I wish there was more of it. But this is a robbery, that Netflix show um, about the biggest art heist of all time. It was exactly what I needed over the weekend. And I I'm sad it's over. I wish I could rewatch it for the first time.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm going to put that on my list because I have no plans this weekend whatsoever. <laughs> So, thank you. I'm definitely putting that on my list. Amazing.
1: No, I highly recommend it, especially if you really want to get lost in something. There's only four episodes, so it's it's not going to consume your life, but like it's a great weekend project.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, I'll let you know how that goes. Um, but before we dive into you know everything just around sustainability in your company, I'd love to get you know a background of you, your career, and really just how you got started in the industry. Ooh, yeah
1: that's that's the money question <laughs> um, so I don't have a background in sustainability um I think I, I, I think it's tricky to really get your foot in the door unless you you know go to that Columbia program or you, you have experience in environmental sciences and I, I definitely didn't and I will say I was a late bloomer um, as far as sustainability or thinking about the climate crisis goes and it was it was not on my mind at all when I was in college so, I am always really impressed by folks who <laughs> who have the foresight and, you know, the, the empathy and like care for the world when they're teens and, and can actually plan their career around that. But for me, it took a little longer. Um, I actually started my career in content and commerce, which is like a funny kind of like zeitgeisty business word right now, <laughs> which by that I mean <laughs> to say, um, I worked at a company called Food52. I worked in e-commerce before that, but uh, at Food 52, we did a really sort of interesting thing where we combined content around kitchen and cooking and food, so recipes and you know long-form writing about foodways and food heritage, uh, alongside commerce. So like you could both you know read a recipe and then also buy the plate that you wanted to serve that recipe on. Uh, so I, I did a, a bunch of different things there. I was there for a long time, five or six years, but. Uh, I, I both worked in ad sales. So I got my start in like content production and sponsored content and, uh, client services and also, uh, on the e-commerce side of things. So launching a pop-up, getting ready to launch our first brick and mortar. Um, so it was really interesting. It was a a great sort of hybrid, (laughs) getting your hands dirty at a, a fast growing startup type of opportunity. And not at all, really. That <laughs> that related to sustainability beyond the fact that we did a little bit of dabbling in sustainable product development with products like uh, silicone straws or you know silicone lids that were intended to replace single use plastic wrap. So I- I'd say my my journey to where I am now has been uh, somewhat windy one, and definitely not uh, maybe by the book. But but I think that's that's pretty on par with my personality. I, I wouldn't see it any other way
0: for me. Would you say that? You know, your experience at Food Fifty Two, for example, really just gave you a lens into, you know, products that maybe weren't as sustainable. And like at what point did you realize that there is this gap in the market that you would really like to address? I think
1: uh, it it wasn't actually Food Fifty Two that made me think about like wastefulness. I I would say sort of the opposite. I really loved the work we did in sustainable product development there. And I had so much fun working with our head of product development and thinking about things like bio ink and, you know, what we're going to package something in. Um, I thought that was the coolest. So it was sort of the opposite. But I I will say that um, the the inspiration for Goldoon came a bit more from my personal life. And obviously I've been super lucky to have had the experience I had and and to get to lean on it when I was starting a company. But for me... um, what sort of lit the match was more what I was seeing personally as I was shopping for home and personally, as that was like kind of going deeper down the sustainability wormhole uh, and not finding what I was looking for and also not really feeling seen or, or represented in what I saw on Instagram, which tend to be tended to be so I think Sort of like a a particular type of influencer focused, right? Like it was always like a very thin Mm -hmm. white woman with an entirely beige house wearing like entirely beige pants. And everything was mad expensive and really supposed to be like, quote unquote, aspirational. And I think at a certain point I started to question what that meant to me, aspirational, and, and why i was inundated with this image <laughs> of this like one type of person and then of course the other end of the spectrum is hardcore zero wasting right where everything is i think pretty all or nothing and um oftentimes super granola and i think a little bit out of touch with just what a privilege it is to get to even think about living sustainably so so for me those were two extremes and i sort of fell in the middle and when i looked at my friends and my coworkers and my family we all kind of fell in the middle like people who wanted to do better and be better, but didn't necessarily know where to begin or didn't see ourselves reflected in any of sort of the more popular narratives. So that's, that's really what got me going. And obviously my, my time at food 52 was great fuel for that fire, but it wasn't necessarily anything about, you know, selling pots and pans or like beautiful things for home that got me thinking about it so much as uh lack of representation.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, just in terms of, you know, Goldoon and your company, for those listening that aren't, you know, as familiar, can you just take us through you know, the mission and the goal of the company um, and really what it's all about.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm guessing most people aren't familiar because we're a six-month-old startup. So I'm by no means expecting anyone to be familiar. Um, but so Gold Dune is a, a company I started in late 2020. And our mission is just to make sustainability less beige. And I mean that in every sense of the word. Um, I obviously gave you my my backstory about not not feeling like there was a not beige, not granola place for regular people to be curious and make mistakes and get involved and engaged with climate and sustainable living and Um, For me, that meant building an e-commerce site and um, a home and life and personal care retailer that was focused on bringing some joy and some warmth and some color and brightness and vibrance to the sustainability space. And hopefully, you know, I, I started the business in 2020 and I was feeling like, for some reason, design was not yet like an important part of the conversation when folks were developing sustainable products, right? Like I was hoping that by 2020 kind of design and sustainability would catch up and meet in the middle. And for some reason that still felt like a tall order. So... Really focusing on things that are, you know, as as handsome and as functional as their non-sustainable counterparts. So again, it's it's a privilege, and it shouldn't really feel like a sacrifice if you're gonna, you know, pick a sustainable option over something else. But yeah, that that's us. I, I think for me, as I mentioned, inclusivity was really important to me, and so what we've done is we've sort of built it into our business model. So we our sort of the the way we structure our, um, brand partnerships and the brands that we work with right now, I think at this like present moment, though, this is always on our site, so you can check it at any time. um, I believe the breakout is like 77% of our brands are women led and 42% are BIPOC led. And we're trying to make sure that we're well over 50% by June. But yeah, for for me, inclusivity and intersectionality were also really, really important parts of the sustainability conversation that felt like they were missing from modern retail.
0: And that's so inspiring too, to hear, you know, those stats because you don't see that very often. And I really just love, you know, the mission of the company. And I'm so curious too, in terms of launching, because you mentioned it's a six month old startup. So you launched during the pandemic. Was there a moment during the past year where you found that it was easier to transition and sort of adapt to a sustainable lifestyle? Because I just feel like if, you know, this were back in, you know, 2018 or 2019, everybody, you know, is living in the moment and doing the hustle and bustle. And sometimes it's hard to start to adapt that sustainable lifestyle. So would you say it was easier during the past year as everybody was kind of at home and really was able to take time to be mindful about what they were using?
1: I definitely see your point, but I kind of felt the opposite, to be honest. I I definitely was in my heyday of sustainability in 2018 and 2019. That was really when I was like, Uh, ramping up and really starting to obsess over what I brought into my home and, you know, what it came packaged in and how it was made and really beginning to question those things. But I found that in COVID, I mean, like obviously just from a, a plastics and like a single use perspective, the sheer volume of Curel and like single use wipes, Clorox wipes and all of that stuff and gloves and and like everything just increased. And I mean, even still, right. Like you can't bring a reusable cup to a coffee shop, even though coffee shops are open. Um, so that, I mean, and again, like no shade, that was the situation we were in. So for all of this, like I, I don't think anyone should feel any shame for doing what they had to do, especially this last year where we're all pretty much focused on staying alive and like taking care of our families. Um, I think that, yeah, I, I felt like this last year, bigger, bigger fears sort of took over. And for a lot of folks, it was, um, really, really high stress, high anxiety and high stakes the entire year. Right. And like bigger things to worry about, like what happens when you lose your job or, you know, how you're going to put food on the table. And of course, like single use plastics don't really play into that as as much as maybe they did when you had smaller concerns, or, you know, we were just worried about like grumbling about a bad day at work and, and things like that. Um, but it's different for everyone. I'm, I'm sure for some people it was a big reset. And I think for a lot of folks who probably were cooking more were in their homes more and, and life, you know, the, the stressor was really just working from home. I think definitely, I'm sure that people took a look at their kitchens and were like, Hey, wait, this thing might be really wasteful. But I think for me, at least, um, I also, moved and and was displaced. And so I'm, I'm like still a little out of my element. I I think a lot of people are, but I'm super hopeful. And I think pretty excited for 2021 and, um, how we can push the convo forward and hopefully also think outside the box and and do newer and better things instead of, you know, trying to quote unquote, like go back to normal.
0: Right. Yeah. And I can totally see, you know, where you're coming from in terms of, you know, aspects of, COVID and the pandemic not being sustainable, um, it's crazy how many masks I've seen on the street and it's so upsetting, but um, hopefully there is that silver lining of people are a little bit more mindful of, you know, what they are using on an everyday basis I kind of want to take it back a little bit to your personal sustainable um, sustainability journey because I know you'd mentioned just a little bit about how it led you to starting the company, but your journey specifically—how long, you know, has it been since you really just addressed sustainability and started? that research and started that education? And where would you say you are now?
1: (laughs) You know, not that long. (laughs) Like it's crazy how quarantine makes everything happen in warp speed. So full transparency, like I had the idea for the business in May and like started it in June and we launched in October. So I can't by any means say that I've been planning this for like five years at all. This hasn't even been like a a big thing in my mind for even five years. But what I will say is I feel like when it hits you, it hits you pretty hard. And for me, you know, I, I guess I started like through the lens of personal consumption. I actually found my way to sustainability through clean beauty and thinking a lot about packaging and refills and then being really interested in and curious about like refill technology and, you know, what happens when you buy a refillable mascara or like a refillable eyeshadow palette. And that's actually what, got me thinking, which is kind of like feels silly to me because I've never been a makeup person either. But sure enough, (laughs) those two things (laughs) became big for me. And um, that's really what got me starting to think about my home. And I think from there, once I started to think about, you know, initially it just, it was just plastic. And I I was just like, ooh, plastic bad, other things good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Over time, I realized that that was also not really true. And that was also actually not where we were at. And thankfully, like that sort of opened the door to more reading and actually thinking about the climate crisis and not just, I guess, like for lack of a better word, the plastic crisis and, and thinking sort of beyond the scope of like trash or, you know, the vague messaging we get around polar bears and like ice caps melting. And Uh, actually starting to do some reading and some learning and some understanding about where we're at. And I I think that might be, to me, honestly, like that's the tricky part. It's not uh, swapping out your toilet paper or buying reusable paper towels. It's how you sort of open the door to both make time and bandwidth to actually understand the scope of the climate crisis. And then also what's happening in the world, right? Like where we're at <laughs> fixing it. Because I, I think that's the other daunting thing for me. It was like, okay, I've, I've read some books. I'm starting to understand exactly what the issues are and the scope and the fastness of the issues and how they're playing out around the world. But where. Where is the world <laughs> solving this? Because right. for me, and I, I don't want to ever kid anyone, this as a business owner either. Like, what sponges you buy and and be- buying a better sponge or like <laughs> plastic free sponge is not gonna stop the climate crisis. And I, it would be so nice and easy if we could fix the climate crisis with like quote, unquote, conscious capitalism, but um, we can't at all. And I I don't want people to be misled into thinking that we can. It's certainly a great thing to do if you can. And we should all, to the extent that we can, care about, you know, our place in the crisis and our our place in the cause and effect of what we buy and what we send to landfill and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, what it it really is going to take is like activism and engagement and um, holding governments accountable, right? So- for me, the daunting part was like, okay, who's handling this? <laughs> where can I find them? Like, what do I do? <laughs> what should I pay attention to? And to be honest, I, I know some of those things, but they change every day. And I'm I'm still constantly reckoning with like, okay, what's the next step? Right? Like, what's the climate plan? What's the Green New Deal? Like, where are we at on the Paris Agreement? And I think that's super overwhelming and challenging, especially for folks who are. Just even beginning to consider this stuff, which I I think is a lot of people. And I think in the next few years, a lot of people who still haven't even begun to consider it will start. Mm -hmm. So for us, it will do the Goal and and what we think about is really like okay shopping sustainably one won't solve the climate crisis but two it's not accessible to everybody it's ultimately a huge huge privilege and how can we use our our platform and our POV which is of course like judgment free and shame free and really colorful and welcoming um, how can we use that to make as many free resources or as much free content as we can so that we can make at least digesting or understanding the scope of the climate crisis a little bit easier and less daunting and more welcoming for folks. If if that's the very least we do, I'll be a happy camper.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And you touched on it too. Like it's overwhelming because there is so much information out there. There's a lot of noise. And I think that's where people get, you know, sort of turned off on, you know, the actual journey of sustainability. And, you know, this is a shame free environment. So in terms of, you know, your resources, I know you touched on it a little bit in terms of books and, you know, following, um, you know, specific things in politics, but what were, you know, the top resources that you found really helped you in guiding that journey?
1: I feel you on a lot of information and just like how overwhelming sometimes the scope and scale of the internet can be. So for me, I felt like googling was almost useless, like it was just an exercise in making myself mm-hmm. more overwhelmed. So I'm a book person. Um and I I also a podcast person and I think, you know, the middle ground is of course audiobooks, but for me, it was reading and reading books that, you know, I, I recognized the name of the people on the back of the jacket of the book. <laughs> so I knew I was in good hands, right? I at least sort of knew what I was getting into, right? Or I knew I could trust the author to some extent. And um, yeah, I, I really recommend starting with a book. Like It's just so much easier than taking on uh, the task of a grand self-education online and I, I think maybe that bias shows also we do a <laughs> we do a book club every month at goldune So we'll like pick a book of the month, a sustainable read, and we have um a Facebook group where we'll talk about this stuff in, but also we'll just talk about it a little bit on Instagram and in stories. And I just find that even if a few people each month, like add the book to their list or take the book home, we're again, we're in a great place. <laughs> like that's a few more people who are engaging in ways that they can with the actual crisis at scale. Um, and that again is, is good enough for me, but that's, that's always my recommendation for people to start. It's not like you know, change out everything in your home, buy lots more stuff, do everything different. It's like, okay, why don't you... Find a way that's accessible for you to engage with the concept or the theme. And maybe that's a podcast episode and that's 45 minutes of your life. Maybe it's a book and it's more like two hours of your life, but but you find a way that works for you and everybody's life and circumstances so different. Like, who are we to tell rap people what they should do? Right. Like right. I, I really don't believe in the idea of like shoulding people or you're telling them you should do this, <laughs> or you should do that, or you shouldn't be using this. Like it's it's not my place. I, I don't know what they're going through. I don't not know what their life is like I don't know what their financial circumstances are like or their privilege is like so why don't we just all here are a few ideas basically is our, our point of view like here's a few options you pick what works for you we're we're no judgment we're not interfering but we're just going to keep providing as many options as we can until hopefully we find something that works for more and more people
0: yeah and you know in terms of um, just education it's baby steps and I don't think as well like nobody should feel like they should do this or they should read this but as long as you know people are kind of taking that step one at a time i think you know i'm hopeful that things will change in the future so i did want to touch on um consumers and just having a perception on sustainable products i feel like a lot of the times sustainable products are tied to being expensive would you say that sustainable products can be affordable? And how can somebody really just find the middle ground with sustainability as well as not breaking the bank? That's the money
1: question for sure. I keep saying that about every question, but they all are. (laughs) I think that so to answer your question, yes, they are they are definitely more expensive. And there are some that are actually super affordable, but I, I don't want to mislead anyone by like making a blanket statement when that's truthfully more often than not rarely the case, but we work with some partners who, you know, do really well on Amazon or like we have one of our, our best-selling brands was on Good Morning America last week and like they have a highly accessible price point. So it, it really varies. Um, and the good news is that uh, the more people express desire for or demand for these products at accessible price points, the more incentive there is for businesses to try to produce them, or even more importantly, the more incentive there is for investors to back those companies that are doing that hard work, right? Right now, what I will say, like we work with primarily small brands and we're at about like 85 plus of them. And the reality is it's so expensive (laughs) to try to make something sustainably. And I I know that um, that doesn't necessarily make the price point more palatable or more accessible or even the playing field. But basically what I mean to say is the more that we financially support, we being either customers, consumers, regular people buying sponges or also investors, whether angel or or venture capitalists or, you know, any sort of financing, the more we support those businesses, the more they're able to invest in sustainability, the more sustainable they're able to become. Also, the better deals they're able to get on manufacturing, right? The the cheaper it is for them to produce things at scale. And that brings price points down slowly over time. And I, I think the rough part is that a lot of legacy brands and a lot of Quote unquote unsustainable brands who don't really take the Mm -hmm. environment into their production plans, they are able to like artificially keep price points low, right? Or to, or to offer something like free expedited shipping, which is a myth. It doesn't exist. Shipping always costs money. <laughs> the other person is paying for it if it's not you. Um, and it's actually really expensive. And I think that people forget because <laughs> we're sort of used to not paying for it now. Right. And that's rough. And it, it's rough when, um, a business can't afford to take a loss, whether on the cost of their product so that you can have it at a, a pretend cheap price or on shipping so that you can, you know, feel like <laughs> shipping doesn't exist. But um, I, when I say that, all I mean to say is I, I think it's a tough, tough game right now to be a sustainable brand trying to grow. Uh, it's just it's pretty cost prohibitive. And so for the folks who do do an amazing job and do make a product that like checks all the boxes, we do our best to celebrate them and you know get the word out on the streets. And if you can't afford it, please buy it. That's awesome. That helps so much. And if you can't like no stress, it's okay. Uh, It's the the world won't end if you have to buy the non-sustainable version. And again, I would so much rather that, you know, you access something like a free podcast or you take out a book from the library and you engage that way. If you don't have necessarily like the bottomless cash to go around swapping out everything in your home.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, for me personally, I like to think of these sustainable products that, you know, I am purchasing as an investment because you are going to have them for a long time. Um, I mean, there is. A shelf life to some of them. And that's kind of what I wanted to get um, to and to touch on was the end of life description on products that you have on the website. So can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yes. Assuming that most people have not been to our website, which is again, totally fair, we're new. Um, on each product page on our site, we actually have a little, well, we, we have two things that I think are kind of interesting and different. The first is, we have a sustainability spectrum. So it's like a little thermometer, basically a little barometer, if you will, um, that gives you a sense of where we think it falls. It being the product (laughs) on the sustainability spectrum. And we decided that we, we actually think sustainability is less binary than it appears. It's more of a spectrum. So, um, as much as we'd like to oversimplify things into like plastic, bad glass, good The reality is that that's usually not the case. And there's actually a lot of nuance to these things. And there's also a lot of nuance to measuring the impact of products, right? So like it's kind of apples and oranges. So what we do is we make a spectrum. We do all of that homework behind the scenes of vetting, of getting certifications and accreditations for products, of understanding where and how they're made, with what kind of energy, what kind of packaging, where you know the raw product or raw ingredients are sourced, all of that we do. And we definitely include as much of that information as we're able to in a product description. But what we also do is just big and bold and colorfully at the top of the page. We just give you a sense of where it ranks on the sustainability spectrum. So everything on our site is sustainable, but definitely some products are more so than others. And this is a really quick visual indicator if you're torn between two things or you're just curious you you now can get a gut read really quickly on um just how sustainable something is but right underneath that we actually also have a section for end of life of products and what that sort of means to us is um i just i think it's interesting that more folks don't do this but I mean, what, <laughs> what happens to it when you're done with it, right? Like, where does it go? Where do you send it? Um, and I, I think it's really interesting that brands spend so much money to sell you stuff and then take very little responsibility for that stuff when the, you know it's in your hands, right? Like they're offloading it at scale. And I get it. That's the point of selling stuff is you don't want to keep it and you don't want to take on the financial liability for what happens next when the customer is done using it or if it breaks or if it's time to throw it away. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard as a small business. I wish that like (laughs) we could take everything back at all stages of life always. And like we had a magical recycling machine that could make it into the next product. But the reality is we don't. So instead we do our very best to tell you how to responsibly dispose of something. So does it need to go to landfill? What does it ship to you in? How do you dispose of the packaging? Does it need to be recycled? Can it be composted? Those are all the questions we answer on every single page under the end of life section so that you have you know, no lingering doubts about what to do with a package when it arrives or even, you know, what to do with the packing peanuts. Like, are they water soluble or are they like made of corn? Do they need to go in the trash and get sent to landfill with a biodegrade? We answer all of those questions. And we also for Earth Month rolled out a new program that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. So, Now we're able to actually, I talked about a magical recycling machine. (laughs) We still don't have one, but we're able to reclaim basically a certain collection of products from our customers that we've labeled circular and we'll take them back when Folks are done with them and we'll give you store credit in exchange for sending back, you know, the sheets or the robe or the napkins you don't want anymore. And we will upcycle those into new material or new products, or we will responsibly dispose of them in a way that doesn't harm the planet. So I'm, I'm super proud of that. And we added... A bunch more products to that um, that collection this month.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you definitely should be because that's such an amazing concept, and just everything that you're doing is so amazing, and I love it. Thank you. That is so nice of you. (laughs) And um, in terms of the sustainability spectrum, you know, I really love the idea behind it because you know you're informing your consumers at the same time while they are shopping sustainably like you mentioned it's not all one like this is sustainable this isn't this is kind of a loaded question in terms of the everyday life if you were going into a grocery store or if you're going into like a drugstore, how can somebody just educate themselves when they are shopping, whether it's like on the packaging, like what do you recommend them look for? It's
1: really hard. Um, It's especially hard if you're at a retailer where they don't separate products or like there's no differentiation between what is or isn't sustainable. So that's a a big challenge. But what I would say, and again, like I want to caveat all of this, obviously huge, huge privilege. So if none of these things are accessible to you, don't feel down on yourself or, or don't, you know, feel bad like that's that's most people, right? But if you can, I think food-wise, um picking something uh, This sounds like a little <laughs> I know this is overplayed, like people say this all the time. So I <laughs> I'm aware that I sound like a trope, but <laughs> shopping local or uh hitting a farmers market is always the best option for food. If you can't do that, if there are CSAs or I feel like a lot of time there are like, especially in COVID, kind of like local farm boxes or, or things like that. Obviously not everywhere, especially not in food deserts. But um, if you live in a coastal area or on either coast of the US, there are certainly a lot of those programs in New York and California. And then also, I think if not that, there are some some options like Imperfect Foods or Misfits Market, where you can get products that might not have otherwise made it to shelves. Those are all really great options. But if you're just like at your local target and you're trying to decide... Target, I mean, I mean, like these retailers are doing a better job of carrying some of these products. I would say, don't just focus on what is packaged in. <laughs> I know that's the easy thing, but um, try to focus a little bit more on, on what it is and how far it might've traveled to get mm-hmm. to you and all of those things. Maybe think about, could that product be waterless instead of being mostly water? That's a really good question to ask when you're, dealing with detergents, um, or soaps, right. And even things like just thinking about maybe switching to a bar soap when you usually use a liquid soap, that's a really, really easy one that typically doesn't actually cost as much. But again, I, I admit it's pretty hard if you don't have a rubric or a guideline or the retailer's not holding your hand through it. And I, I think that's part of my frustration that led me to want to be the retailer. <laughs> That would hold your
0: hand through it. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And I feel like a lot of those questions too aren't on the packaging. And yeah, you know, if a company's not sustainable, they're not gonna say any of that. So of course. Yeah. So it's it's difficult. And you know, that's why, you know, we look to your company and to you and people that are in you know the in the industry and that are knowledgeable. So I really, you know, I really love that we're um, touching on all of these subjects. I feel like I'm just hitting you with the loaded questions, but here's another one. <laughs> How have you seen, you know, greenwashing change over the past, you know, few years and specifically the past um, year that you've been working on Goldoon? Oh, good question.
1: I, it used to really bother me. It bothers me less now, which is kind of funny. I think now I, I work with so many different sustainable businesses and I've vetted so, so many more or connected with so, so many more where it ultimately didn't work out um, that my, my perception has changed. I sort of, I used to be like a little angrier or more tough on brands. And now I, I feel like almost, <laughs> I don't know if I feel more empathy because now I own a business and that's probably why, but also I think, cause I know just how, how hard it is. Um, and how financially hard it is to pull all of this off, and it does take like privilege is the word of the hour, but it does take a certain level of privilege to either have access to the money to do that upfront, or to you know the types of institutional funding that allow businesses to be more sustainable. Um, certainly, it's like not awesome when people still market themselves as the thing that they might not be able to. Be, right? Like true greenwashing. Um, and I, I, think also a lot of us are wrestling with like, <laughs> this is like a very, um, collegiate <laughs> thing to say, like a very young, young adult vibe, but like, is there ethical consumption under capitalism? That age old question. And I know a lot of people think there's not. And I think that that's probably also pretty difficult to wrestle with for folks who really care about the climate crisis and sustainability, right? Like in good conscience, what what does it say to make more stuff? Like, what does that mean? You're still making more stuff, even if you're labeling it sustainable, right? Or even if you're still doing it the best possible way, it's still putting more stuff out into the world. So um, I think for me, that's the the biggest thing to grapple with and like the lens through which I look at greenwashing now and, and the part that's the hardest. Like I noticed that this is this is Earth Month, right? But like, I'm I'm struggling a little bit with the amount of people who write in and ask us if we're going to be doing a huge sale for Earth Day, <laughs> or uh, businesses who are doing huge sales for Earth Day, and I just can't. Like, that drives me nuts. I think that's crazy that uh, on literally on earth day, we would try to shove more stuff down people's throats. Like that, that to me is right. the antithesis of earth day. Um, but these are all themes that like, I, I think I know I'm working through and I know a lot of our partners are working through where we're like, okay, what is our place in this? And ultimately I think this was one of the questions like that whole ethical consumption question. That was one of the things that kept me from starting the business for a while, or that I got kind of stuck on and I, I couldn't get past. And I think ultimately what I realized or decided, and this is true for at least me, I don't think it has to be true for everyone, but um, yes, it's not sustainable to shop, right? Like the most sustainable thing would be to never shop again, (laughs) to end the institution of shopping. That would be it. But I don't see that happening in the next decade. Um, I just don't think it will. I I don't have a good feeling that that's going to go down. And in the meantime, I wanted to build what I thought was the next best way to go about it. If you do need to shop, which I think most of us do in order to continue to survive or function in the societies we live in right now or the communities we live in right now. So that's the way I'm viewing it. I know that there are a lot of folks who view it differently or um, who, who might not agree with that assessment. But for me, it was like, okay, what could the next best thing be or the next best version of this be? How can we build wealth for traditionally undervalued business owners, women and people of color, and how can we build, you know, better supply chains and, um, ones that support ultimately small and sustainable business. So that's, that's my POV. I know it, it, some folks might view that as greenwashing. Some folks might not. It's, it's all very, very, very subjective.
0: Right. Yeah. And there is that gray area. Like there is no right or wrong. I mean, there is kind of a wrong, but...
1: (laughs) But you're right. There's no one absolute right. I have a hard time digesting that too, honestly. I feel like sometimes I'm going to get in trouble when the absolute right, like someone decides what the absolute right is. But
0: I'm learning as I grow up that uh, that's never going to happen. Right. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, I also want to touch on the products on the website. And I want to ask you, you know, specifically what not your favorite product, because I'm sure, you know, all of them are amazing, but one that if somebody were to, you know, go on the website right now that you would want them to immediately click on? Ooh, that's such a good question. It changes all the time. I
1: love novelty. So I, there's typically a new arrival that I'm really obsessed with that I've been working on getting onto the site for a long time. Um, I think for me right now, it's interesting. Our best sellers are often not the things that I'm the most psyched about, like, not that I'm not psyched about them, but they're never my number one fave. My number one fave, I feel like, is. A hidden gem. And maybe that just means I need to talk about them more. But, um, I think for me, there are a lot of really interesting reusable and recycled like textiles. Like we have a really, really awesome partner who's based in LA and they source like dead stock or recycled fabrics and they turn them into the most beautiful products for home. They're like tie dye or they come in the most beautiful neon or pastel colors and they feel super fresh and modern and like not at all beige. And you would never in a million years guess that they're recycled. Like they don't look crunchy at all. Those are my, my evergreen favorites. And coincidentally, that's one of the brands that signed on to, to be on Gold Dune when I literally just approached them with like nothing but an idea. And so for me, I think the people who rolled the dice on me and took a shot on me in the beginning are always going to be very close to my heart because they really had no reason to other than they they liked some of the words I was saying.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also wanted to touch on that too. Is just the process behind, you know, getting these brands onto the website. Of course, like your team is pretty strict on vetting and testing, and really making sure you know all of these products are actually sustainable. But can you take us through the process of finding a brand, vetting the brand, and really just everything um, after that? Yeah,
1: definitely people are really always really curious about the criteria and that's part of why we rolled out the spectrum. I think that they wanted us to have like the way that some beauty retailers have a no list where they're like, no, to these ingredients. And I think for us, we sell everything from slippers to oat milk to sheets for your bed to like shampoo. So the list is not the same and it's not actually like as simple as a, a category like cosmetics where, you know, for the most part, you're working with the same like 2000 ingredients right here. Like what it takes to manufacture a pillow and what it takes to manufacture lip balm are actually really different. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's no like easy, no list, but the way that it works is we have a really, really thorough list of questions that we ask people um, before we move forward. We've got at this point, like, three separate long questionnaires we're trying to work on to merging into one so that it's a little easier for folks who are joining us. Um, as far as like the sourcing and the hunting of brands goes, uh, that's all me. That's my favorite part of the job. Honestly, that's why I started doing what I'm doing, uh, was I loved doing that even before I started Goldoon in my spare time, discovering like a cool, small woman of color owned sustainable cleanser brand was like the absolute utmost joy for me. <laughs> so making it into a business, of course, that's that's still one of my favorite parts. Um, in the early days, that was like some pretty hardcore hunting and pitching and convincing folks to get on board again with like nothing but an idea. But now, thankfully, it's it's a little more evenly split. So I definitely keep a short list of brands I'm really excited about or interested in and reach out to them or, you know, sort of slowly over the course of months, we get to know each other. Um, but also we we hear from a lot more brands these days, which is great, too, and sort of had to build a separate vetting process for those where we're not doing um, so much homework up front as we do before we approach a brand. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a process, and I think that's to be candid, partially part of why it takes kind of a long time to get to get new stuff up onto the site and to to build out more products into our assortment, just because we uh, are going so so much deeper. I think than um, folks might realize.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's completely understandable um, that you know it does take a long time to you know vet these products, but at the same time, like it's worth it, and I'm sure you know, people and shoppers, um, you know, appreciate that. Appreciate that you're not launching a product so quickly because there is that thoughtfulness behind it. Totally.
1: Thank you. I definitely hope so. I'm sure that nobody is sitting at home, like refreshing their phone, wondering why we don't have more shampoo, but I know I (laughs) am. So it's partially that <laughs> whole like hang up in your head when it's your own baby thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. In terms of sustainability and what you want somebody to take away from this episode, um, what is one takeaway that, you know, you want anybody that's listening to really take away about sustainability? Ooh,
1: I love that. Um, I guess my my takeaway would be do your best don't be hard on yourself. If something is not in reach for you, you'll, you'll get there or you won't. And that's okay. The most important thing at the end of the day is to engage however you can. Again, whether it's a book, a podcast, whether maybe you're, you're not like me and you do love to go down deep, dark Wikipedia or Google holes and that that's easier for you, whatever works for you, keep doing it and keep engaging. And then, you know, if you have the means support the kinds of businesses and creators and people that you think deserve, you know, <laughs> deserve more in the world and deserve more of a share of voice and deserve more money in, in sort of our weird messed up economy. So for me, that always looks like small, sustainable women and BIPOC owned businesses. And, and that's where I gravitate towards. And maybe that means something different to you, but pick that, pick that cause or find that retailer, or find those brands that like really, are emblematic of what you want the world to be, and uh, support them however you can, whenever you can. And if you can't afford to shop their stuff, then you can still always engage with their content or things like that, or share them with friends. And there's there's lots of different ways to take part in sort of shifting towards a more sustainable retail model or a more sustainable political model. Um, no matter you know who you are, or where you're at in the world.
0: Yeah, and that's so important too that you noted. You know, it's free to just support them and share their posts and really just engage with their, you know, whether it's their website or their Instagram, because that in itself means so much to, um, to small business owners, I'm sure.
1: Totally. I mean, it's always an algorithm boost. I obviously like at the end of the day for small business owners, cash is king and like likes aren't a stand in for revenue that keeps them or their teams afloat. But again, like sharing is great. And maybe you have a friend (laughs) (laughs) who does want in on that or what they're selling. And that's awesome too. Um, but I don't, know. I feel really hopeful about all of that. After this last year, I felt like we had a real year where we really came through and tried to support local or small businesses who were struggling. And that, you know, as I was starting one, that felt really good to watch and to see, and to know that, um, that desire is still alive and well in the U S
0: Right. Yeah. And I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes just in terms of supporting the local businesses. So yeah, I'm I'm hopeful as well. And I I know that it's going to continue. Me too. Fingers crossed. One thing I love to ask everybody just before we end off is a pinch me moment. So can you pinpoint a moment in your career? Maybe it's, you know, the past, you know, something in the past five years or the past year that has been a pinch me moment for you?
1: This is so random. I wish it was like a big milestone. Like I thought I would have a pinch me moment the first time I was in a print magazine. Like that was very exciting, but I think since I knew it was coming and I'd worked so hard to get there, I was not surprised of course, like (laughs) I knew, I knew it was happening, but I think for me, the biggest pinch me moment, I had no idea it was happening. And it just like shocked me. It was the first time a celebrity ordered from
0: Kuldoon. Oh my gosh. Can you share the celebrity?
1: I can't share because I think that's illegal to share customer data, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I will say that, um, I was a fan of hers for a long time and this was like week three or four after I launched the business and things were really slow and I was super high anxiety and like, we still had like 200 followers on Instagram and I just was feeling really like not great about anything at all. And then I saw her name pop up on my phone and she had just like bought the most random and mundane things, but it made me feel so great that somehow this amazing famous (laughs) woman had managed to find my sponges on the internet <laughs> I was interested like that rocked. And so, um, sometimes when I'm down, I like to remind myself that, um, celebrities follow gold Dune, And so there's something to look forward to because <laughs> hopefully more will.
0: Yeah. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. I'm now I'm going to creep who's following gold Dune. <laughs> this one doesn't follow us, but, um,
1: some other celebs do not, not a listers for sure, but it's still very thrilling because I'm just hopeful it's going to happen again. And I think sometimes you got to live for those, those shallow
0: thrills, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And I don't blame you. That's a really big milestone and (laughs) congratulations. And, you know, in terms of Goldoon and your launch, I love what you stand for and I love the goal and the mission of the company. So thank you for starting, you know, a marketplace where women and you know BIPOC women specifically can really share their passions, their projects, and sustainable products that they really believe in. So thank you so much. And I'm so excited to share this podcast um, during this month um, as Earth Month because it's so important. Thank you so much. I'm so,
1: so grateful that you had me on. I, I really loved every second of it. Thank you so much.